I told you it's my favorite Sunday of the year, but it's also the most hectic week of the year, is it not? You know, the kids are, if you if you got kids, you know, they're finally out of school, which is good for them. And that's about where it ends, you know, because it's just crazy. And we'll be traveling this week and we're, you know, we're going to visit two different sides of, of my family. And, and so it's, you know, it, it just, it never ends. And I know for some of you, <clears throat> You got all your Christmas shopping done for others. You'll finish up Christmas Eve right before you go to visit with your family. And then somebody will get you something that you weren't expecting. You got to run back out to Walmart and get them something. You know how that goes. I mean, you know. And so it's just a hectic, crazy time of year. And there's going to be a moment, I'm sure, where you might stop in your own mind. And you may not be able to do this with your family as a whole. But you'll stop and you'll just say, Kind of like Charlie Brown did in Charlie Brown Christmas. Is there anybody who knows what Christmas is all about? Can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And maybe you'll have somebody like Linus who breaks out in some King James English on you and just reminds you of what Christmas is all about. I'm not real good at King James English, but this morning I hope that I can just remind us a little bit of what Linus said told us what Christmas was all about. You know what he did? All he did was quote scripture. And just looks at Charlie Brown and he says, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So simple that a child can understand it and explain it. And I really think that's the way Jesus wants it to be. I really really think he just wants it to be simple. I think the way of the master, as we're talking about this series, it's not meant to be complicated or filled with lots of superstitions or or maybe some guessing games or unending confusion. I really don't think that's what life with Jesus is meant to be at all. And so if that's your walk with the Lord right now, and it's full of superstitions and confusion and wishing and hoping and so on, I hope this morning that we can just, again, see it. it's just simply walking with Jesus, learning from Him, loving Him, living like Him, worshiping Him. All Jesus told His followers to do was just follow me. Pretty simple. We're in a series called The Way of the Master, and the idea is that we're just going to learn from Jesus. What does He intend Christianity to be? What are the elements of our faith? What are the elements of our walk with God that just need to be there? The best way to learn, I believe, is through an apprenticeship, learning from someone who is a master. If you want to learn something, and you go to someone who's really good at that. And you learn from them and you spend time with them and you soak up all of their knowledge and experience and then they allow you to do those things and to learn sort of on-the-job training. Jesus did that with his disciples. They got a great apprenticeship for about three years or so. They walked around with him and they learned from him and he taught them things and he showed them truly how to live life. Now we can't walk around with Jesus like they did physically. But they passed on to us our own type of apprenticeship, and through the Gospels and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can understand what it means to have an apprenticeship with Jesus. And that's the idea behind this series. My, my one goal is, as your pastor, for as long as God allows me to be here, is simply that you and I and we together would just walk in the way of the Master. And I mean that. I don't mean that in a cliche way. I really don't care a whole lot of what else happens So long as you and I and we together are walking with Jesus, 
There's not a whole lot else we're supposed to be doing. I think everything else will take care of itself. And so that's the idea behind this series. Today we're going to look at a vital element of life with Jesus. The way of the master must and has to include, and it's beneficial for us when it does include, worship. And so if you've got a Bible handy, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 to 20. It's on your handout there inside your bulletin. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you can get there. We're going to look at the idea of worship and what that's like in the way of the master and what worship really means. We're going to look this morning at the shepherds in the story of, of, of Christmas. Some ideas about worship, just, just kind of defining the terms a little bit. I really believe that each and every one of us, we're all worshipers. We're all fixated. We're all giving our devotion to, we're all obeying something or someone. And that's the the idea of worship, that whatever has our attention, whatever has our devotion, whatever has our obedience, that's what or who we're worshiping. I really believe that your life is controlled. My life is controlled by whatever or whomever I worship. Eventually, we just take on the nature of whatever it is that we're most fixated on. Uh, The true object of worship for Christians, I believe, is not seen just when we show up at church. You know, I was talking with somebody this week, and so it's really easy to be a Christian in church. Well, sure it is. Everybody else is pretending to be the same thing, right? And so, you know, that's that we're all here and we, okay, we'll sing our song. It's real easy to be a Christian. It's real easy to participate in worship, if you will, at church. But I believe the true object of our worship is seeing the other six days of the week. What has our attention? What has our devotion? What has our obedience on those days? And as we'll see in Scripture, those who truly know and have experienced Jesus, they worship Him. It's not just a nod. It's not a superstition. It's not an, okay, well, he's my crutch to get me through some of the tough times in life. No, no, no. The people who truly know and have experienced Jesus worship him, not just at church, but on a, on a regular basis. So look with me, Luke chapter 2, and, and we'll look at these verses. In the same region, shepherds were, out, were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And what did Linus say? And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Low just means behold, look. It doesn't mean like low with a W on the end of it. I know some of you, anyway. Then an angel of the Lord stood before, because it says in the song, low above the earth. You're thinking, how can it be low and above the earth? It's low, look, pay attention. So that's that's what he's saying. Look, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior who is Messiah, Christ the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough or in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. You see the shepherds first in verse 8. They're out in the field with the sheep. You probably have on your phone, or maybe you've been to a rest stop, and, or maybe to the mall, and you have a way to find out you are here. Here's exactly where I am. 
And it sort of reorients you a little bit. You go to the mall and you're looking for one particular store and you go find the map and it says, here's a dot, you are here. You're at the rest stop on the highway and you go in there and there's the big map by the bathrooms and it says, you are here. You don't know where you are exactly, so on your smartphone you hit the little arrow and it just shows you, here's where I am. For the shepherds, here, where they were, was, was not a great position. It was sort of lowly. It was not really desirable. It was nothing special. They're just doing what they do. They're just shepherds, just ordinary guys. During that time, different folks will tell you that that some people viewed the shepherds as untrustworthy. They were certainly viewed as religiously out of whack because they couldn't participate in all the religious ceremonies that the Jews had. They, They were on the clock 24 hours a day. They're out in the field constantly with the sheep, and they could not take a break to go ceremonially wash themselves, to participate in church, if you will. They couldn't do those things. And so they were viewed as sort of outcast a little bit. Some folks we're not so sure about. And that was the shepherds. Their lives and their work was certainly monotonous. It may have at times seemed pointless. Maybe it wasn't what they wanted it to be, but the honest statement is that they couldn't do anything about it. They were still going to be shepherds. They'd get frustrated if they wanted to. They could be jealous of other people. They, they weren't going to be anything but shepherds. I, I wonder what here is like for you. That's what it was like for them. Maybe for you it's a little bit similar. You kind of feel stuck. You know, it's just, well, same old, same old every day. Same story, different week. Never changes. I'm just sort of on a treadmill. It's routine. I'm just ordinary. Maybe it's depressing for you. Just kind of tough. I had a friend that was a shepherd once. No joke. He was a shepherd. Like a real one. With a staff and the whole deal. They gave him a gun, I think, as well. It's a little modern shepherd. Shepherd. But he was a shepherd. And so about six or eight weeks, I think he served as a shepherd. And he's a guy. He travels the world. He's just one of those guys. And so... So I emailed him one day. I said, hey, what was it like being a shepherd? Now, I've mentioned this to you all before, and some of you may remember this. And he said, you know, the, the one thing that's always there is you're just tired. You're always on. You can try to get some sleep here and there, but, you know, the sheep don't quite recognize that you're trying to sleep, so they don't, you know, they don't get along. You know, they, they don't play along in that. And so he said, you're just worn out all the time. And he said, you're always on. I mean, there's, there's always a responsibility to have. Maybe you know life like that. It's just, it never ends. And then he said, the crazy thing about sheep is that no matter where you lead them, they always want to graze uphill. You lead them to the lush meadow, and they want to go up the hill. It's like, what are they? Sheep, he said, you know, they, they just, they're kind of strange like that. Maybe your life is like that. You're always on, you think. You're always worn out. And you're dealing with frustrations. Maybe it's people. Maybe it's things that are just constantly going uphill. <laughs> like, look, I got it's perfect over here. And all the people in your life just want to graze uphill. Maybe life is like that for you. And so here you are this morning, just kind of watching the sheep. I mean, here we are, same old, same old. And you're bored and tired of it. And there they were in the field. Well, why is it, I wonder, that it seems anyway, the first people that the birth of Jesus were announced to, they were shepherds. Those dudes out in the field. Religiously unclean. Not the kind of folks that everybody wanted to associate with. People that probably were bored with their lives. Why is it that the shepherds are in the story? The Gospel of Luke, as one of my seminary professors put it, 
is the gospel of the great reversal. You would think that the king of heaven would appear on earth to other kings, would come in stately apparel with lots of music and pomp and circumstance and all of those things, and yet the first announcement, the birth announcement is sent first to shepherds. Luke focused on those who were unnoticed. This great reversal of what society had been like, Luke shows that Jesus turned it all on its ear. And so Luke focuses on how Jesus raised the status of different people like women and Gentiles and shepherds and the poor, the Samaritans and the tax collectors and sinners and the lepers. And that's who who Luke focuses on in his gospel. And so it's no surprise that he would highlight the fact that the angels showed up to the shepherds The implication is that the gospel first came to people who weren't so desirable. Maybe you feel that way this morning. And he recognized, you know what, the gospel isn't just for people who have it all together. In fact, the gospel, as Jesus would say, is for those who recognize they're sick and in need of a doctor, in need of a Savior. And so this morning, if you say, you know what, finally I recognize I'm in need of something different, then the gospel is right there for you. Verse 9 tells us the angels begin to announce Jesus. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. That literally means they feared a great fear. (laughs) They're shaking in their boots. They don't know what to do. It's not every day that angels appear to them out in the field. This wasn't common. They're terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. They're terrified, don't be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy. He says, I've got good news that's going to bring incredible joy, not only for you, but for the whole world. Because he says to you this day, you there out in the field, you there stuck in your ordinary life, you right where you are today for you a Savior has been born. A deliverer, the Messiah, the promised one of God, Christ the Lord, God Himself has come. The angel said, God has given the world an incredible gift and you ought to go check it out for yourselves. And they said, here's here's what you'll find. Here's the sign to confirm that it's the right baby. You'll find the baby wrapped up in cloth and lying in a feeding trough there with all animals. And then sort of like a flash mob, all the other angels join Him and they start singing, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Good news and peace have come, the angels announced. And then the shepherds run off. Look at verse 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You'll find him, they said, and so they go and look. They hurried off. There's a sense of anticipation, of eagerness, of of wanting to experience their Savior. They were so eager to experience Jesus, they left the sheep in the field. That speaks some volumes to me. These guys who were so responsible, who could never go to church, but when Jesus was there, when they knew they could experience Jesus, guess what? They left everything else behind. I hope this morning that you got up and the thought crossed your mind. Maybe, just maybe, I'll experience Jesus this morning. Because I'm convinced that those who are sort of stuck wherever here is, those whose lives are monotonous and just feeling pointless, 
It's not a church service you need or a sermon or music or any of those things. It's Jesus that you need desperately. And so this morning, I hope and I pray that at least part of your motivation for being here this morning was, you know what, maybe I'll just experience a little bit of Jesus. They found him. Jeremiah 29 tells us that you'll seek me, God says, and you'll find me when you seek with your whole heart. They went after him with everything they had. They found him. And they had incredible joy when they learned of Jesus. And it continued and it spilled over when they experienced him firsthand. And they're telling Mary and Joseph, look, here's what we just experienced out in the field. And we had to come and see what the angels were talking about. We had to come and experience the Savior. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing in the world. And they were willing to abandon everything in order to experience Jesus. This sense of urgency. Let's go, they say. Let's experience. Let's investigate. Let's know for ourselves. As I told you, my one goal as as a pastor is that individually and together, that we would walk in the way of the Master, that you would know Jesus, that you would learn of Him, that you would love Him, that you would follow Him. And I've seen it happen way too often that sometimes, and let me just encourage you and warn you to be careful of this, sometimes those who come and sit in the pews, and I've been there and I've done that, can live vicariously through the person standing up in front of them. And their relationship, the person in front of them, can sort of be the one they count on to get them to God as well. Jesus came to be your high priest. He came to be the only medium between you and God. Please, let me encourage you and caution you. Don't live your spiritual life vicariously through me through Danny, through Randy, through anybody else who stands up here, through your Sunday school teacher. Jesus came to be, as cliche as it sounds, a personal a, a, a personal Savior. Not just the Savior of me, but of you as well. I think too many of us live our lives vicariously through other people or through our rituals and spiritual things we do. The truth is what we need is an experience directly and personally with Jesus Christ because nothing else will change us. You maybe have come to church for years or weeks and you say nothing's changing. Let me just tell you, perhaps the reason nothing is changing is because you haven't experienced Jesus. You've been in church. I'm so glad you're here. I really do mean that. But if you don't experience Jesus, nothing's going to change by coming to church. Nothing's going to happen in your heart until Jesus invades it. And so this morning, give it to Him. Verse 20. The shepherds, it says, returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Where do we find them at the end of the story? Back where they started. Back in the field. Back with the sheep. But where once they were just ordinary dudes standing out in the field watching some sheep at night, now they return having been changed by an experience with Jesus and they return praising and glorifying God. They're not the same as they were before. They're shepherds still, but they're different. They went back to the sheep, back to the ordinary, back to the routine, back to the treadmill, back to the lowly experience of being a shepherd, but they went back as changed people. I can't promise you, and I will not promise you, 
that if you give your life to Jesus Christ fully and completely and you follow him and you love him, that all of your external circumstances are going to change and you'll go back to a brand new life that's the one you've always hoped for. I'm not arrogant or foolish enough to attempt to tell you here's what's going to happen exactly, but I can tell you this. You'll go back to wherever here is as a changed person. And I really believe that's the great lesson from the shepherds this morning. I want to give you this, and I want to show you a few reasons we can worship, and then we're going to close. The way of the master, and the way of the master, what we find from the shepherds is that worship changes everything, even if nothing changes. Worship changes everything, even if nothing changes. They experienced Jesus, and it changed everything, even though nothing had changed for them. They were still shepherds, still going back to the same life. Tomorrow morning, you'll get up, and you'll go back to your same life. Whatever life that is. You may love it, you may hate it. The question is not, will all of that change? The question is, will you have been changed? Because the truth is, as the old saying goes, wherever you go, there you are. You ever felt like, why is nothing ever different? Well, I changed jobs. I mean, I, you know, I made all these different changes in my life. I mean, I changed my diet. I did everything I could do to make myself better. And so I went to school and all, all of this has changed and yet nothing is different. You know why? Wherever you go, there you are. If the change doesn't happen in you, you can change all your external circumstances and it'll be a band-aid for a few months and you'll go right back to the way things were. Why? Because there you are. Worship changes everything, though, even if nothing changes. Why is that? Why is it so powerful when we experience Jesus and we worship like the shepherds did? Why is that? I think it's because we're taken back just to the simple truth of the gospel. You see in Luke chapter 2 that God in Jesus got on our level. The simple truth of the gospel is that God left heaven and became one of us to live a perfect life which matters because that's the life we couldn't live. And so he fulfilled all the law of God. He was perfect. And he got on our level, and you see that continue. He, he's born in a manger in Bethlehem, just an ordinary place, as a vulnerable baby. And he grows up, and later on he gives his life as a sacrifice for sin, a death that we deserve. He just got on our level. When we worship, we're taken back to that simple truth that we're worshiping a God who's not in isolation, a God who, who just looks and says, well, you guys are on your own. Good luck. You all messed up, and I want nothing to do with you. He came to us. And he did it in a way that we could understand him. He did it in a way that he took on human form so that we could look at him and we could resonate and we could be on the same level. When we worship, we're reminded that's what God did. We're reminded also that, that he solved our, our impossible problem of sin. I know we got a lot of good people here today. I, I, there, there's some that are knuckleheads, I know. I, there's a few. I won't call any names, but there's a few. <laughs> but the rest of you are really good people, okay? <clears throat> But do you realize that for all of us, for the good people and for the knuckleheads, we've got an impossible problem? It's no secret that the problem is called sin. And it's not just what you did yesterday. It's who you are. 
Scripture tells us very plainly that we are born with a sinful nature, and so it's not, we don't need to just be cleaned up on the outside in our behavior. We need to be changed on the inside. Because who we are is the problem. Do you realize you do what you do because of who you are? Because of what's going on in your heart? Nobody made you do it. You did it just because that's what's in your heart to do. And so we have an impossible problem. We are born to sin. And our impossible problem is that we need to be changed on the inside. And more so, we can't do anything about that. You can change and clean up your behavior, but you can't change who you are. Only God can do that because only God created you. In Jesus, we see that later on He grows up and He pays the penalty for our sin. God in His economy, the way He set things up, said, Look, I will receive only a perfect sacrifice, someone who has perfectly fulfilled the law. Only that person will be able to pay for all the sins of the world. And then through that exchange, when people believe in that person for salvation and forgiveness, then I will cleanse their hearts, and that's how I will change them on the inside. You may not like that's how it is, but that's how it is. There is but one way that God set it up, and that is through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, that He set it up that we could be changed on the inside. There's no other way to solve our impossible problem of sin. And honestly, I'm thankful for that. Because if there was any other kind of way, well, if I could be good enough, guess what? I ain't good enough. You mess up recently? You sin recently? I keep doing it. I don't know why. Like Paul in Romans chapter 7. I don't know why I keep doing this stuff. What am I doing? You ever felt that way? The impossible problem of sin, of death, of mortality, of the wrath of God against sin was solved by Jesus on the cross. When we worship, we're, taking, we're taken back to that. The old rugged cross, once again, washes over us and we experience and understand again the grace of God. When we worship, we're reminded that Jesus meets all of our deepest needs. You realize in, in, in Isaiah, he was called the Prince of Peace. Do you know who else was called the Prince of Peace during the time when he was born? The Caesar at the time, Augustus. He had ushered in after a tumultuous time where they're fighting over the throne and Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony and all them several years before. They're all fighting each other and they kill one another off. And finally, Caesar Augustus ushers in what's known as the Pax Romana, the Roman Peace. And he's, he's hailed as the Savior, as the Prince of Peace, the one who finally, if you will, brings balance to the force. And then the angels show up and they announce peace on earth. That seems odd to me. Seems as if they already had peace on earth. Seems as if the war was over. Seems as if they don't need any more peace. What on earth peace could they possibly use? Everything is held together now by Caesar Augustus. It's all fine. We've got peace. So they must have been talking about a different kind of peace. The kind of peace that an end to the war can't solve. The kind of peace that, that external things can't bring. We have a deep desire for peace that's greater than just stuff on the outside. Because if you're honest with me this morning, and you're honest with God, and if I had you talk about it this morning, you'd say, you know what, everything's pretty good on the outside, but I'm torn up on the inside. 
I'm holding it together outside, but man, I tell you what, I am a knot on the inside. I got no peace in my life. But look at your family. I mean, they're so wonderful. Isn't everything so great? You've got the job you've always dreamed of. You're living in the place that you just built. And all of this is so wonderful. Yeah, I get all of that. And there's peace on the outside. But let me tell you, something's wrong on the inside. The angels announced peace on earth, which might have seemed confusing to people at the time who were living in peace. But God wasn't bringing an end to wars, not that kind of peace. God was bringing peace between God and man. The deepest need we have is not to have everything on the outside settled, but to have peace between us and God. That's our deepest need. And in Jesus, that's exactly what God did. The emperor, the Caesar at the time, he couldn't give that kind of peace. And neither in our world can any kind of law, any presidential candidate, any treaty, any agreement... Nobody can give us the kind of peace that we desperately need, and that is peace between us and God found only in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What are you trusting this morning for your peace. If it's anything but Jesus, it's going to collapse. When we worship, we're reminded of the truth of the gospel. Our eyes are taken off our circumstances and we see life as it truly is meant to be seen. When we worship, we experience Jesus all over again. The shepherds went to church that morning, that evening. And guess what? They returned worshiping the other six days of the week. There was something about it when they returned, glorifying and praising God. It continued to put them in the presence of Jesus by His Spirit. They submitted to Him as we do in worship. And when we worship, we open ourselves to the work of God in our hearts. Don't forget to worship Jesus this Christmas. We desperately need to worship Him, not just on Sunday morning as we join together to do that. But outside of church, every day of the week, this week, let me encourage you, find a time sometime in the morning, sometime on your break at work, sometime in the evening before you go to bed, to spend time worshiping your Savior. You say, how do I do that? The shepherds returned glorifying Him. They started talking about Jesus. The angels sang about Jesus. Mary meditated in her heart about Jesus. I don't know how it is best for you to worship. But maybe all of those should be part of our worship. That we should talk about Him. That we should sing to and about Him. That we should simply meditate, fill our minds with the things that Jesus has done for us. This week, worship Jesus. You're going to have a moment this week. You're going to have several moments maybe this week where you wonder if everything is just going to always be the way it is, so hectic and stressful. Is anything ever going to change? And it's in that moment when maybe you just worship. Taking your eyes off of that, returning them to the gospel of Christ. Maybe this week you'll experience some sort of depressing moment, worship during that time. When you're scared, the next time you have some fear or anxiousness in your life, worship when you're lonely, when you're just done with things, when everything's falling apart, worship. When things are great, worship. Because worship changes everything, even even if nothing changes. So spend time this week with Jesus.
Don't forget to worship this Christmas. The next time you hear those songs on the radio, it's kind of hard to worship the grandma got run over by a reindeer. I get that. Skip to the next one maybe and worship Jesus even as you listen to some of the songs that you're tired of. The shepherds went to church, as I said, that day. But they kept worshiping Jesus throughout the week. And that's the way of the Master, to continually place ourselves in a position of worship and say, Lord, I love you and I praise you. God, I want you to change my heart. I want you to change me even if nothing changes. Don't forget to worship Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray together.